Good morning, Harvest. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, go through all the kings and chronicles, and eventually you hit Nehemiah. If you get to Psalms, back up. You've gone too far. But get, get your Bibles and get into Nehemiah. As we begin a series this morning, we're going to walk through for the next four Sundays looking at the life of Nehemiah and his call to get up and work. Now, now, I love reading in Acts how Jesus makes that same call for us, and, and he, he lays it out for his disciples. He says, here's the mission. You're going to go, and then Jesus ascends up into heaven, and, and the disciples are left there just sort of staring up in the sky, kind of, wow. And it's at that moment these two angels roll in, and, and, and they say this, men of Galilee, why are you staring up into the heavens? And, and I kind of read it like this. They're saying, are you guys still here? Like, why are you still here? You have a mission. Go. For those who know Jesus, who, who are now, because of that, you're filled with his spirit, we, we know the mission, the, the call to get up and work. Even in a season like we're in right now, in the, the coronavirus shutdown, where, where, yes, our building is not open, but listen, the mission we're called to most often is outside of these walls, to go out into our community, into the world with the hope of Jesus. And my prayer is this, that, that we would hear the heart of God, that we'd be, we'd be stirred by his spirit to believe that he wants to do more in us and listen, more through us. To use us to reach our families, our towns, our communities, our workplaces, to be sent out to the ends of the earth for his glory. Now, here's the thing. If, if you're watching this morning and, and like you're top of your class in school or maybe you've already graduated and you graduate with honors or, or you're the, the, the top in your workplace, you are a star athlete, you're, you're the leader in your field, I want to encourage you this morning. That's okay. God can still use you too. Here's the thing though. Right? God seems to really specialize in using very ordinary, everyday people. And over the next four weeks, if, if, if you're humble and available, if, if you're open to the Spirit of God speaking through His Word, I believe that God will speak to every one of you so directly that, that God can give you the faith to step up, step out, and do something that outlasts you. Because you've been created for something more. You, you were born for a purpose. You were created by God to step out and do something eternal, something that matters, something that lasts. Now, in saying that, let, let me warn you, to do that, to step out, it will cost you. I mean, don't believe this prosperity gospel junk that, that, that says, oh, oh, no, God just wants to bless you, and, and you can have your best life right now. Listen, listen, I believe that following Jesus is the best, greatest life ever, but listen, you will experience pain. You might experience agony and, and rejection and heartache and failure and loneliness and doubt and discouragement. There are times as you get up and work and go out on this mission that, that you might be rejected. You might have to stand alone. People might mock you, ridicule you, misunderstand you, attack you, gossip about you, ignore you. But when your sacrifices impact another life and glorify God, you'll never think about the price that it cost you. 
because of your faithfulness, that, that, that God would be glorified, that lives would be transformed. And I'm praying that God in these next four weeks would turn our church upside down as people call each other to the mission and, and we work side by side, no matter what the cost, to see God continue to transform even more lives. And so this morning, we're gonna meet a guy named Nehemiah. He's a guy who, who had a heart that is broken for his people. He wasn't a leader in the church. He, he wasn't a prophet or a priest or a king or a warrior. He's an ordinary guy who God used to make an extraordinary difference. So as we jump in this morning, the question we're really asking is this, what breaks your heart? I mean, Nehemiah looked around and he saw something going on around him and, and it broke his heart and he made a choice. He decided right then and there, listen, I can sit by and do nothing or I can get up and let God use me. So he says, God, use me, send me. In fact, the verse that we're basing this series on is in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18, if you've got your Bibles open. It says, I, I told them of the hand, <clears throat> the hand of my God that had been upon me. I, I felt this burden, he's saying, right, for good, and, and also the words that the king had spoken to me, because we're about to see he's going to go to the king to ask the king a favor. And he says, and they said, let us rise up and build. Let's get up and work, right? So, so they strengthen their hands for the good work. Let's, let's rally together. Let's, let's get up and work. And so, so let's start right now. Let's, let's begin the work even this morning. Let, let me pray for us. Would you join your hearts with me in prayer? Father, I ask that even right now, Lord, that, that your Holy Spirit would begin to work. Stir in us to believe that we could do exceedingly and abundantly more by your power to make a difference in the world for your glory. God, would you speak to hearts right now? I pray this in the name of the one who has called us and equipped us and changed us for your perfect work. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so here we have this guy, Nehemiah. Just a regular person doing a regular job, and he heard about something that broke his heart. And, and he had this feeling in his gut where he's like, man, I need to do something. I need to step out and, and I need to rally some people to do something about this. Now his job at the time, if you look at chapter 1, verse 11, here, here's his job. He says, now I was a cupbearer to the king, verse 11 says. He's a cupbearer to the king of Persia, a guy by the name of King Artaxerxes. And, and, and what's it mean to be a cupbearer? He's a high-level servant. He had this role. It's a, it's, it's a role where you need to be hugely trusted in this role because he had access to the king. And there'd be opportunities for him because of his proximity to the king that he would, he would hear the king's plans. And so he had to be a trustworthy, full of integrity kind of guy, a guy loyal to the king. Now, his biggest responsibility as a cupbearer was this. He, he, would, he would take whatever the king was about to eat or drink. As King Artaxerxes takes his wine to drink it. You have to understand something. Artaxerxes would have had enemies. People who wanted to kill him, to take him out, to overthrow his nation. And so, so one of Nehemiah's duties as a cupbearer was to be sure that nobody ever poisoned the king. So he would take the wine the king was about to drink, and he would drink it first. You got to hope that he had some good health benefits, right, in that, that job, because one bad day and you're not just out of work, you might be out of life. And well, Nehemiah is having this, this pretty normal day doing his job. It starts out in verse 1. This is the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, 
I came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates are destroyed by fire. So, so these guys come in to see Nehemiah, and he's like, hey, hey, tell me about our people. Tell me about our homeland. And why is he asking that? Because over a century earlier, the Babylonians had come in and conquered Jerusalem, and they destroyed the city. They, they destroyed their life, their culture. Solomon's temple reduced to rubble. The whole city of Jerusalem just left in ruins. And then the Babylonians took most of the Jews into exile, away into captivity. And now here they are, 140 years later, still left without hope. I mean, many had moved back into Jerusalem. They'd come back, and I, I bet they were overjoyed to be set free. And yet, they were overwhelmed by the destruction that they saw. Totally demoralized. I mean, look what it says in this verse. It says that they were in great trouble and shame. Why? They had no wall, no protection, totally vulnerable, completely weak, no economy, no leadership, no direction, no confidence, no plan, so no hope. And if we're going to be used by God to step into these places of trouble and shame and brokenness and hopelessness, here's the first move we're going to need to make. Stop and be deeply moved. Stop and be deeply moved. I mean, you see this so clearly in, in, in verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, he hears what's going on. He says, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. I mean, the news is, is, is that people are hopeless and it crushed him. It broke his heart. And you got to understand something. Nehemiah was living a very comfortable life at this time. He, he had a great job at the palace, eating the king's food, drinking the king's wine. I mean, he's living in luxury. This is a guy who'd be sitting on his dock by the water, posting selfies on Instagram, just blessed to serve the king, hashtag God is good. Living this total comfortable life. And in that comfort, listen, for you and I, in a life of comfort, our hearts can become cold. I mean, you can hear of somebody hurting you. A prayer request can come your way. You can hear about the millions who live in darkness without access to the gospel. You can see starvation and oppression and destruction and abuse. And we can say a little prayer. We can be moved in the moment, but, but we don't really allow it to come right into our heart. I mean, right here, Nehemiah hears these stories and he has a choice. He could feel a bit of compassion he could feel bad. He, he, he could post something on Facebook or Instagram or, or he could feel this deeply. He, he could allow the pain to, to pierce his heart. Because the mission we're called to, it's not just a head thing. It's a heart thing. It begins with a divine burden, an ache in your soul. Nehemiah hears well, the news of what's going on. And he didn't just move past it. No, he sat down and wept and mourned for days. So let me ask you a question this morning. What breaks your heart? I mean, what, what causes you to be deeply moved, to, to feel that divine burden? What, what gives you a holy angst? What, what rises up a righteous anger on behalf of God in you? What is it that crushes your spirit when, when you look at an injustice or a need in this world? Maybe for you it's kids, kids, kids who are abused or neglected or in poverty. Maybe for you, it's people with special needs. 
Maybe you have a heart that's heavy for people battling addictions of drugs and alcohol, pornography. Maybe for you, your heart goes out to those wrestling with mental health struggles. Maybe you're burdened for the broken marriages in our world. Maybe for you, it's the homeless and the hungry. Maybe it's men and women who are incarcerated without hope. Maybe it's women and girls who are trafficked and abused. Maybe for you, your heart just burns with, with this angst and this burden for, for the millions who are, who are living without the gospel, without a Bible in their language, without missionaries coming to give them the good news. Maybe for you, it's the, the plight of the unborn. I mean, what is it that breaks your heart? What is it that burdens your soul? I mean, let, let it move you. Let, let, it, let, let your heart feel it deeply because Nehemiah just didn't have a, a little bit of a cry. Look what it says. He wept and mourned for days. He then spent four more months in prayer calling out to God for the things that were breaking his heart and what he knew was breaking God's heart. And you gotta see that in scripture, this is such a common theme for those who follow God. Ezra, in Ezra 8 to 10, you, you read of him crying out, heartbroken for the state of the people in Jerusalem lost in sin. The Apostle Paul talks about all the trials he goes through as a missionary, shipwrecked, hungry, cold, beaten, imprisoned, and yet what's he say? He says his greatest burden is his care for the church and the people that he loves. Revelation chapter 6, you see the saints in heaven have gone on before us, yet they're deeply concerned for those left behind. And they say, how long, O Lord, will they be made to suffer? Listen, Jesus himself looked out over Jerusalem, over people who are lost like sheep without a shepherd, and Jesus wept. We're going to see Nehemiah was a, a brilliant strategist, an a incredible leader, but somewhere along the line, listen, if you follow the pattern of Scripture, you're going to find yourself identifying with people, hurting, lost, broken people. And listen, you'll be driven to tears. So again, let me ask you, what, what breaks your heart? Don't run past it. I would actually be more worried if nothing moves you, if, if your heart isn't broken by anything. I mean, if, if the things that break God's heart do not move you, hey, listen, start here. Start with this prayer. Lord, soften my heart. Lord, show me your heart. Now, where do you go with that, that deep feeling? Where, where do you go? You see, Nehemiah doesn't just stay here. He doesn't just weep and mourn for days. He, he moves on from there. And look what it says. After weeping and mourning for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. First, yes, be deeply moved. Secondly, though, listen, kneel down and humbly pray. I mean, this is so important. If it's breaking your heart, take it to the Lord. I mean, there's something we say as Christians. It's a saying that kind of gets thrown out there. And I mean, I, I hate this saying. It's this. It's when we say things like, well, you know, all we can do is pray. <laughs> what? What do you mean all we can do? I mean, all we can do is, is call out to a holy, righteous, all-powerful, just, glorious God of creation. Like, that's all we can do. That's it. That's all we got. Listen, we, we've been given this mission of, of, of the gospel from God to bring hope and healing of the good news of Jesus. We've been given this mission to go to our, our towns, to all of Muskoka, 
to the ends of the earth, to, to those, those villages in Nepal where people are living without the hope of the gospel, lost in a caste system of hopelessness and never have heard of Jesus. So what do we do when we see this great need in front of us, the mission we're called to? We go before the God of heaven. Nehemiah begins to pray. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. First, he starts with God's sovereignty. O Lord God of heaven. In the early church in Acts 4, when they were under persecution, they began praying and they began to cling to God's sovereignty as they called out to him. Because listen, in the trials, in the wilderness, we need to remember that God is the God of the wilderness. That in your hard times, God's not too small. He's not indifferent. Listen, his hand is on even the trials. And there's a mystery to the doctrine of God's providence, but there's also so much comfort there. And he calls out to this God of the covenant, the God who keeps his promises. He's really looking back to a verse we just covered last week, Exodus 19, right? This God of of a covenant grabbing a hold of this, this God who has a steadfast love. Now, we can wrongly look at covenant and look at God's Old Testament law. We kind of see that as scary and bad. Listen, they clung to it as a gift of grace. Yes, when we fail, there are consequences they knew, but they also knew, God, you are slow to anger. You are steadfast in your love, abounding in grace. So how much more should we now on this side of the cross on this side of of Jesus, totally fulfilling God's covenant, fully obeying for us, so his obedience becomes our obedience by faith. That our sin placed on him, given to him. I mean, how much more quickly should we be running and taking our burden to the one who heals, who restores, who empowers? Nehemiah takes his heart first to the Lord. In fact, he prays this prayer. He says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant now that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you've redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. I mean, you you see Nehemiah's heart for holiness here and his brokenness over sin. But here's what I'm seeing. He identifies so much of the people that he does not start with a self-righteous campaign of, well, obviously the city's destroyed because of your sin. No, what's he say? He says, it's my sin. He's broken over his own sin. He starts there, Lord, before I step out, change my heart. It's such a humble prayer that he prays here. Verse 11 goes on. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. I mean, Nehemiah rests his prayer in this, that God, that we would fear your name. God, that we're servants who worship you. God, our whole life goal is your glory, that that your great name would be revered in the nations. 
as we realize as we step out on mission that God is so passionately committed to the fame of his name that, that he would be worshipped all over the world. Now, this isn't, this isn't God being prideful or an egomaniac. This is God's love on display because God knows that our greatest need is him, that his glory brings us life, that, that that's where flourishing is found. So, so whatever the mission we're called to, whatever that is that breaks your heart, this is the priority, that people would see the glory of God, that they would know the joy of knowing Jesus and worship him. Worship's the purpose of missions. It's why we go. And, and it's worship that actually fuels the mission. Because, because you've tasted the joy of knowing Jesus, of worshiping Jesus. And, and we want every family, every person, every tribe, every nation included in this worship. So we start on our knees in prayer and worship. Our hearts are then filled and, and, and filled with this glory of God. Why? Why? Because you can't commend what you don't cherish. You, you can't declare what, what you don't prize. Worship and prayer, it's, that's where you align your heart to the power of the glory of God. And all that worship, it leads to this request. He's praying, God, would you give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man? Who's this man? Artaxerxes. He's about to go talk to the king. Now, cupbearers don't, don't ask kings for favors, especially the favor he's going to ask. He's saying, I want you to let me go rebuild the walls of my city. Listen, Artaxerxes, if you know the background of this, he had just already issued a decree back in Ezra chapter 4 not to rebuild the wall. He had people saying, hey, Jerusalem's being rebuilt. They're going to overtake you. You'll be a weak king if you let this happen. So he sends out this decree, no wall. So here's this crazy leap of faith for Nehemiah. He said, God, I'm going to do this. And he's praying about speaking to the king. Listen, listen, what you pray about really reflects what you believe about God. If, if our prayers are mostly just God bless this food, keep me safe, let me have a good day today, you, you really don't believe in an all-powerful God. But, but when you ask God to stretch you, to use you, when you pray for the impossible, God, would you glorify your name here? Would you bring revival to this place? Would you heal? Would, would you use me to meet these needs? When you believe in the power of God, you, you begin to pray big prayers for God's name to be glorified. Again, Nehemiah is a genius of a leader, a detailed kind of guy, and yet this book is full of him praying. Everything he does comes from this place of humble, intimate, faith-filled prayer before God. So we begin by stopping and being moved. We then kneel down to humbly call out to pray. And then what? We get up and faithfully step out. He's mourned, he's fasted, he's prayed. He now goes before the king. Here's a guy, heartbroken for mission. He's been before the Lord for months about this. And he's taken this crazy step of faith. Look at verse one of chapter two, verses one and two. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing as you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Listen, to be sad in the presence of a Persian king could get you killed. And, and he's about to ask a ridiculous favor. So, so Nehemiah is not just nervous about this. 
It's not, oh man, if I step out, people might make fun of me for being a Jesus freak. No, no, what's he say? He says he was very much afraid. He's terrified. The mission God calls you to will be so much bigger than you. It'll likely cost you. And so what's Nehemiah do? Verse three goes on. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I I love that. I love that. This is not just a, oh, oh no, I, I, I better just throw this quick prayer up to God before I step out on this. No, this is the heart of a guy who's connected to God in prayer. Right? It becomes such a natural move for him. He, he's terrified, and rather than letting the fear speak to his heart, to have the final word in his heart, he turns that doubt and that fear into a response to God. Listen, don't let fear and anxiety and doubt dominate the conversation in your heart. I'm so scared. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so anxious. Listen, bend that upward where where that conversation becomes a prayer. Lord, I'm scared right now. But I know that that these things I'm afraid of, they're they're under your rule, under your sovereign hand. Like a song I've been listening to for the last two weeks. Lord, I know those things I'm afraid of, they're afraid of you. And you bend your fears and your doubts that are speaking to you and you bend those upward as a prayer to the Lord. You see, Nehemiah's heart was broken. His knees are wore out from praying and now he steps out in faith. The king says, what do you want? Verse five, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. Nehemiah sees the need and he's faithfully saying, God, send me to meet this need. And listen, I don't know who is going to be moved by this message this morning, but I know for many of you, you are moved by something. Listen, you have an opportunity to take that to the Lord in prayer and then by his power, step up and step out. Listen, whether you're a senior in our church with most of your life behind you or whether you're a young student right now, whether you're comfortable in your life as a, and you've got a job and a family. Listen, listen. God's calling you. You know, I was just running a summit college, a one-year wilderness school, and, and, a, and one of the students, he, he came to me, and he, and he was reading about a place in the world where there was no gospel presence. It was against the law to talk about Jesus, so no missionaries. And his heart was burdened by this. And I said, hey, well, let's pray about it. And so he did. And he brought it to the Lord, and the burden wouldn't go away. But he had his life planned out. He, he knew what was happening after, after his year there. He was going off to university, but he just could not release this burden. He began to look around, and there, there were no mission agencies to this country. So he called everybody. Everybody turned him down, said, no, we won't send you. He had, he had no money, no way of raising money, no, no sending agency. He prayed more. Eventually, God opened up a way for him to gain a visa, a work visa, to go into this country. So he took off all on his own. He had a passion to bring a gospel, the gospel to a, a place that had not had the gospel in any way that he could. And, and listen, he spends a year there. His visa expires. Here's what happened. This closed country to the, to the gospel asked him, hey, hey, what you're doing as you're reaching hurting and broken people in our country, man, man it's, it's making a change. Can, can we renew your visa? 
But God's at work. So for you, let me ask you this. Where's the burden for you? What fires you up? What burdens your heart? Maybe you've tried to push it away. But today you're going to say, God, here am I, send me. Listen, drop to your knees in prayer. And at some point, God's going to lift you off your knees and say, let's go. Let's go. Whether you're a student in school. Listen, listen. Most revivals that have happened in our world have started with young people who looked at the world, who looked at the church and said, something needs to change here. We need a revival here. We need Jesus more here. If, if you're a senior in your 80s or 90s, here's what I love about our church, that we have seniors who, who yes, retired from work, but not retired for the mission. And, and although the, the race they're running is coming to an end, they're leaning into the tape at the end of the race saying, I want to make a difference. And listen, lives are being changed in our church as, as our seniors are giving themselves to something that lasts beyond them. So again, what is it that burdens your heart? Take it to the Lord. And let's faithfully step out. Step out and trust God. Man, I'm so done with this monotonous culture of, of, of safety and risk aversion. God could call you to something that does fail in the short term. John the Baptist had his head cut off. Paul was beaten and thrown into prison, eventually executed. But listen, they were so right to risk it all for God. Esther in the Old Testament, called by God for such a time as this, she believed, that she was placed there by God. And you know what she said? She said, if I perish, I perish. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going, getting thrown in the fire for the mission they've been called to. They said, throw us in the fire. If God saves us, he saves us. If he doesn't, we still worship him. Jim Elliott and, and his missionary friends going to Ecuador with the gospel to a people who did not know the gospel. And he's like, if I die, I want to die sharing the hope of eternity with people who have not heard of this hope. He died, but so many came to faith after his death. His model lived out that he, he gave up what he could not keep, his own life, to gain what he couldn't lose. God being glorified, people being changed for eternity. So what about you? What burdens you? What, what, what will you pray about? Where will you step out in faith? Because we're called to, to love our communities. We're called to live out the gospel. The church is not a fortress where we hide out from the world. No, we're called to step out into dark places, broken places. We're not called to fear the world, and we're not called to mimic the world. We're called to go in to bring transformation, to love deeply to give and serve and sacrifice, to be a reflection of God's glory for a world that needs hope. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for a church filled with people that are not priests or prophets or kings or warriors, but, but that are humble, faith-filled servants who've been redeemed and transformed by your life and your death and your resurrection. And now, God, we want to see your name glorified. So God, we ask for your power, for your provision, for your wisdom, for your direction to guide every step that we take from here. And God, I pray that wherever we go, whatever we do, we're doing it all for your glory. So stir up in us, God. God, would you break hearts even this morning that we would act on your behalf, that we would step out to, to do your will on earth, God, as it is in heaven. So God, God, speak to us today. Send us out on mission. 
Give us a faith to step out into the burden that you've placed on our hearts. And we pray this in the name of the only one who saves, the only one who redeems, the only one who restores. It's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Amen.